0: Greetings, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Transcendience, uh, brought to you by the Swedenborg Foundation. I'm your host, uh, Corey Brentford watts and I'm here with uh, our wonderful guest, Gord Alton. Uh, Greetings, Gord. Thanks to be here. Gord, tell me a little bit about yourself. What what, uh, professions, what titles do you hold in this life right now?
1: Well, I actually wear sort of three different hats, I guess you would say. Um, I'm a pastor of a Mennonite church here at Mannheim Mennonite Church. I'm a a pastoral counselor and trainer, uh, supervisor, educator for uh, Canadian Association of Spiritual Care. I'm a provisional supervisor right now in training. I train students right here at the church, so the church frees up time for me to do that. And I'm also a private practice spiritual director. So three different hats I wear right
0: now. Oh that's that's wonderful. It sounds like pretty pretty heavy hats in a way.
1: <laughs> it's busy and it's but it's quite rich. Yeah, quite rich.
0: Well, just for full disclosure, uh, I know you particularly through the spiritual direction. In you're uh, my spiritual director right now. How how am I doing now? You don't have to <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're just
1: beginning, Corey. We yeah. want to meet each other one a moment. Four or five times.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of the theme of this webcast: transcendia. It's not int. It's uh, like almost like idiot, but with transcend. Oh, I see. It. I see. Trying to, to overcome some of our, uh, our our more lower tendencies, you could say. Okay. <laughs> well, I I appreciate your work and for being on this uh, broadcast. Thank you. So, where are we now? We're, we're at your
1: church. We're, well, we're actually at this, the back of my sanctuary here at the Mennonite Mennonite Church. It's a small church around, now it's about probably 40, 50 people on a Sunday morning. It's a small group, about 30, 35 people at, at the full house yeah. of the people here. So, it's a very small church. It's it's 10, 50 years ago, that was way larger. It was over you know, like 100 people or more back in those days. Seems to be the case around. Yeah. A good group. Yes, very caring group, very committed. They weren't committed this church wouldn't be here today, so
0: it's commendable. Huh. Are you the only pastor in this church? Yes,
1: I am actually three quarter time pastor here, and, and then one third of that time, a quarter time, is given towards education purposes for the other training I do.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, tell us about your path to those hats um, and, and how you you came to, to do such uh, tremendous work
1: uh, well my first career was not actually pastoring or ministry at all it was computers oh
0: okay. yeah
1: I'm a, a computer geek I uh, went to University of Waterloo in the Bachelor of mathematics program yeah. it was a CS option and graduated from there and worked um, in Canada trust for four years in London um, so that's where I began. It had nothing to do with religion or spirituality at all.
0: We have similar backgrounds. Uh, I, I went to school for computer science and worked in finance. I went to school for finance too. But What was that like for you, working in those realms?
1: Oh, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, yeah, I, it's, I had stuffy skills in those areas. Um, and that, what caused the shift for me was I had an experience during my university years. Uh, mystical experience and due to that mystical experience also of a god became real for me very real rather than just a belief oriented it was a, it was a more of a spiritual way and i began to experience god more daily seeing signs of god's spirit at work and that experience created a shift and so when i was a, it happened during university days and so i went to Canada trust i was already looking for things which brought more meaning than just normal work and after four years at Canada trust i realized I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to do something rather than bring money to the bottom line of a company. Yeah. I wanted to do something which brought meaning to people's lives, including my own. And and I was really curious about this experience I had um, that created the shift. Like what happened? Like what was that all about? Um, and so my journey ever since then has been trying to understand spirituality and how God's spirit connects with people and how that happens, how growth happens and how that connects with the everyday world.
0: Wow, that's, that's really cool that, you know, such a experience sent you on a trajectory of, of reflection and growth and trying to support other people, your spiritual growth. Can I, can I ask, and you can share as much as you want, uh, what was that experience?
1: Well, for me, it was uh, a time in my university years where I was really struggling in the sense relationship-wise, uh, caught in a bit of a love triangle, and not feeling good about it, and but also struggling at school. It was, you know, when you're in high school, I was an A student. university, I was a B, C student. Struggling with that. Mm-hmm. So those things together, and then failing my first work term didn't help. I get co-op at the University of Waterloo, and I, and I failed it. didn't count towards graduation. So all those different aspects, I think, put me in a place where I was really struggling emotionally. And I realized I needed help, and so I remember one—it was September night, was 1980, probably three, I guess it was—where I basically, well, I need help. I can't do this on my own, and I just turned to God. I, and up to then, I was, you know, I was I had a faith which was—I grew up in the United Church, so I had a faith which was very based on catechism and like had gone to church. I had all my stickers, you know, all the things that make a good United Church. Christian, you know, and and yet God wasn't real for me. It was just an idea, right, a belief. And so that night, I actually pleaded to God to prove to God to me that he was real. Really? Real, because I needed something real in my life, not just a belief, but something real. And, and so that was my prayer. I need your help, God. Please show me that you're real and that you care for me. And I remember shedding some tears that night. And the next morning I woke up and I began looking. For signs that that my prayer might be answered, and and I started seeing signs of God's sort of spirit here and there, and almost speaking to me. Um, going to a movie and 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 the movie hits you and you're like, wow, there's that teaching. Everything just seemed to connect and Could come be. alive. It was like it be magical for a while, and and it just caught me off guard, and and also that sense of what um, you say? Uh, the guilt piece, you know, the shame piece that are lifted for that. And so I was really in a really good space and place in my faith. And then, probably what was it, a month, two months later, I met the person who i married. Oh, really? And I had a sense ahead of time, like a, a precognition that I was going to meet someone special this weekend, a retreat That's weekend amazing. for young adults. And I turned out I met that person. and. Uh, And eventually, eventually marry And so there was a lot of things that sort of came together then. And in my life since then has had a lot of these sort of type of experiences where I just, I had to say, wow, God made that happen. That door open, this door open. Hmm. And as a result, it just makes me even more curious. What is driving this whole path that I'm on and not just my path, I think this can be true for other people. What is driving all this? Where is God's spirit in the midst of all this? And
0: so that has been my journey ever since. That's incredible, yeah. Do you find that if people are looking for God, God often will speak to them as they did, as God did with you?
1: I think there's truth in that. I think part of it is the seeking. Part of it is also the seeking has to put you in a place of surrendering too. You can't be grasping for God, because I think when you're trying to grasp God, I think you're trying to control God. And so the grasping piece, actually, I spent a lot of work trying to help people soften the grasping, like seeking and longing is really important. I think that's what pulls us towards God and experiencing God. But when we want to yeah. grasp and control what we're seeking, that's when that, that action, that posture, I think in the way of it. And as a result, I think people get really frustrated when they're in that place. And so that's, huh. yeah. I think that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that whole longing, that seeking, the curiosity piece, uh, the surrendering piece? Once you're moving move along those type of postures, you start seeing things. You mm-hmm. start, because now you're open to receiving. When you're grasping, you can't receive. You're, because you're looking for something
0: in a particular way, a particular experience. It's kind of like testing God in a sense.
1: Yeah, in a sense.
0: Yeah. In a sense. For me, it it reminds me of, Christ's temptation to um, essentially have God prove that God is there, ready to save him. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, many of us believe Christ is God, but in the story, the devil is tempting Jesus in the wilderness mm-hmm. around that. And it sounds similar because I feel like when I am grasping for God, trying to kind of force God's presence into a mm-hmm. situation, it's kind of like saying, well, you know, prove you're around, or do my bidding. Right. It doesn't really work.
1: Well, and in that, and in, in the, the temptation story, it's actually at the end where, where God or Jesus resists the devil. Right. At the end, when he starts, "Let's let's go," also we see the angels coming and ministering to Jesus. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Right. It's not in the midst of it. It's in the midst of it. We hear him he hear a certain truths, which again is from him listening, but it's not him grasping for those truths. Yeah. And it's only at the end when he basically he's by himself that all of a sudden he's in a place of total surrender and all of a sudden
0: he feels ministered to by all the angels of God. Hmm. You mentioned curiosity and longing being an essential part of of your walk and, and what you you feel um, is a space that God can really uh, present uh, himself herself. Mm-hmm. Is, is that? Is that right could you could you uh, explore that a little more i'm curious about curiosity and how that works well curiosity for me has almost become like a fruit of the spirit
1: Mm -hmm. in the sense that when we're curious our mind is totally open because we're 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 open to understand what this is what that is so that curiosity just keeps us in a place of reception and god can speak to us in that place Mm -hmm. right just like um Just like longing in the heart is is the same thing, except except now it's from the heart place. The heart is longing to receive something that touches the heart. Or the curiosity, the mind's longing to receive something that touches the mind. And wets and fills that curiosity. Hmm. So curiosity and longing are very much, are are really two parts of the journey of,
0: of following and really experiencing God. It's kind of like head, wisdom, it's yeah. curiosity and heart, love. Is mm-hmm. Well, I would say probably heart,
1: heart is probably more around desire. 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 And the longing comes from the gut. Longing is from the, the gut. gut. Hmm. Yeah, the sense of longing for connection, longing to trust, longing to, to really settle and be at peace and not be anxious huh. and be grounded. So the longings come from the gut, desire is from the heart, and the curiosity is from the mind. And those three things together, I think, pull us.
0: Along the pathway to experiencing God and the fullness of God's kingdom. Well, you see a lot today this longing, I think, for peace, and we we see a lot of folks turning to meditation and, and other um, practices that help bring them into the present moment. It sounds like that's a, a key part of what you're describing in terms of how we can relate to God and find divinity in our lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, those spiritual practices is all about helping people become very centered in the present moment. It's in the present moment that we encounter our curiosity, that we encounter our desires in the heart, that we encounter our longings. Mm-hmm. And those longings mm-hmm. desires, and desires pull us then into the experience of God in the moment, whether it be insight or whether it be an image for the, the mind captures or whether it be a bit of a vision or a dream or for the heart it's, it's, it's a sense of compassion that begins to rise as you notice the pain around you or within yourself or a sense of joy the signs of spring all around us or it's okay. a gut, it's that longing longing for peace and justice or the longing for to really you know feel it connected with someone deeply you know? um, so you don't have to to be worried about life. It's, it's a longing that things will work out. Those longings pull us into the, into the path, I could say, that takes us home to be with
0: Wow. Yeah, so some of these feelings, these, these things that some people um, may find or feel like they're grappling with, they're not sure what to do with, or if it's even helpful, that kind of call um, you're saying is is really a way that God can pull us closer. These desires for mm-hmm. for really for to to let go of some of the things that yeah.
1: are
0: making us anxious.
1: Well really every experience in life is designed to bring us home. Hmm. Like we often focus on the positive experiences of life, you know, love yeah. and joy and compassion, all that, but it, I think the negative experiences have more just as much potential to pull draw draws home as the, ne- the positive ones. Because mm-hmm. the negative ones, you there's a sense that you know there's something not right here. Right? Yeah. And and that's what what's the curiosity? Well, what's not right here? And you know, and, and and the heart is really sitting, okay, what what and the heart desires to know what's not right here. And so, like my work, we in spirit direction, we learn to hold every single experience, whether it be anger, hatred, guilt, shame, depression. Every experience, and I see every one of them, is a gateway to coming home, is huh. a doorway to coming home. The key is, is how to hold those experiences in a way which I was in the open, eye, so that God can speak to us to, in those experiences, hmm. to see how depression is really a sign of something within us is blocking our ability to really feel alive in the moment. It could be a trust issue, it could be... Sense of fear going on that shuts us down. Like there's many things which are behind depression which cause us to contract, which is why we're depressed. The energy within us is not allowed to flow, and so as we become really curious and we explore what is behind this contraction which is causing me to feel depressed, all of a sudden that becomes a doorway to us discovering the truth that's needed
0: to set us free to a place where depression is less part of it. Would you say that posture of, of uh, letting, letting yourself be drawn towards divinity and, um, and noticing what things are, kind of keeping the energy from flowing, is that a key part of um, what you're trying to uplift in your spiritual uh, direction? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, like I spend as much time focusing on the positive as I do on the negative. Like the negative to me is just as important, in fact, you know, I think it's even more important because the negative helps be, helps me become aware of and also the directly become aware of the things in our life which are blocking the flow of God's spirit life, whether it be love, whether it be compassion, whether it be strength, God's power, God's joy, God's inner support. The negative spirit helps us know where the blocks are within our soul. And by blocks I mean, you know, I mean those those beliefs which are often can be very fixed. By blocks I mean those those behavior patterns we've learned from our past. Which get in the way of us actually having a deep relationship with ourselves or God and others by blocks i mean some of the patterns we have and how we deal with them hold our emotions oh i shouldn't cry so we shut it down Hmm. well we can't cry we can't experience God's compassion because tears and God's compassion are right beside each other they're very much connected and so if we have a block within us that keeps us from crying like dad said know, always never cry then when we're a man, we're gonna find it very, very hard to experience the tenderness and the softness and the tears of compassion right? toward ourselves or towards others. That's the block. And so in spirit direction, we're all about, how do we work through that? How do we? How do I help a person begin to explore the blocks which get in the way of them having tears? I remember this past year, I had a Buddhist student, you know, and tears is something that was very foreign to her. She was brought to believe tears is not part of Part of her tradition, and yet compassion is such a big part of it, is. Hmm. right? And I remember exploring that with her. And now, after working with her for a year, now she's in touch with her tears. She's in touch with her other feelings, and they no longer scare her. They actually help her connect with the tears of others. So now she she has become a really good psychotherapist um, with other people, including you know, whether it be Buddhists or Christian, Because now she's able to be with her tears. She's able to be with a lot of the negative emotions, which often are seen as Issues in Buddhism, but they're not—they're not really. They're just blocks, blocks to experiencing the fullness of reality in the Buddhist
0: tradition. That's incredible. It's—I feel like it's—it's a a high calling to try to uplift um, this kind of health in, in folks. I'm curious, though, about some some more of the details along your journey. So you had. This experience. <clears throat> yeah. There's a lot of things that led me to this place. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, when I uh, finished my seminary in, uh, in 1993, I moved into the Mark and Stowa area uh, to be a pastor there. And it was only a 60% position, so I had to find something else. And so I began to look around and I, th- I actually, another part of my story is that I lost two brothers, to HIV AIDS. Oh. They were, they were hemophiliacs. They were they were got. They took blood products during the 1980s, 70s, and 80s. And as you know, the blood products, of both U.S. Canada, got contaminated due to the virus. Well, during the 90s, my brothers died. And but because of that experience, I was drawn to get involved in the AIDS community work region. And and they were just forming, and I was part of the founding committee to help start it. And I began a support group, for a support group. And so I remember for the next three, four years, I ran a support group out of my church down in Markham, Hagerman, ch- Hagerman Mennonite Church. Cool. And that group met every, well, I think I met every, at least every month for sure, if not every two weeks. Well, that led to many funerals and visitations. I did a lot of visiting with people with HIV/AIDS in the city or their families. And that work led to me being invited to be a pastoral counselor for what was called then the the Community Care Access Center of York Region. It was a community-based healthcare organization connected to the government, providing healthcare to the community. And they saw me work with the AIDS Committee, and they and wanted sir. me go over. Could you come and join us? Because we like to offer chaplaincy, mm-hmm. pastoral counseling to the community for people with palliative care and mental health.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, in 1996, that became my second part of my journey, or the. I was in the church, and now I was doing ministry in the community, visiting people in their homes around chaplaincy, pastoral passing, and
0: health. Well, that's quite the milestone, quite the work. It was.
1: And I still remember one of my earliest clients. She was in her 50s. She was living with cancer. She was palliative. And she invited me to come see her. And her question to me at the end of my visit, first visit was, Gord, can you teach me how to pray? And I sat there and I said to myself, "Hmm, I know she's not asking me to teach her the Lord's Prayer. She's actually asking me to teach her how to develop a relationship with God and feel close to God in the midst of realness. And I realized that I had not learned that at seminary. You know, at seminary, you learn about theology and biblical studies and languages and how to preach and pastoral care, basic pastoral care. But there was really not a focus on how to help people develop and deepen the relation with God. So that's what sent me back to get some training to be a spiritual director. Because that's really what spiritual direction is all about. Is how to help people develop and deepen a relation with God, focusing on their prayer practices and focusing on the things in life which just getting way getting in the way of their God relationship, feeling close to God. And so that was a huge shift for me. And I loved it. Just loved it. But now I was getting into, into psychology a little bit and seeing how psychology and spirituality was connecting together and seeing how it connects to the God relationship.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so that, that's what sent you to a spiritual direction. To, to spiritual where? direction. Yeah.
1: And I got that training and I was really enjoying that. And so I said, okay, I want to go deeper with this. Okay. <laughs> so I, that's how I got involved in the Cave Association of Spiritual Care. They have a, a whole a extensive training program to be pastoral counselors. And so I became part of I did that for some extra training every year for for four years um, to get my certification as a pastoral counselor specialist. Hmm. And and that training was really interesting. Because here I was, you know, in spiritual direction, I had some psychology and spirituality, and we were integrated. But when I went into the into the CAS program, here I was learning all the psychology, you know, all the different models of psychotherapy, individual, family psychotherapy, and so on. But the connection to spirituality was really, really weak. Mm. We would do some theological reflection at the end of the day, but it didn't answer my question. So how can I join God's spirit in the midst of a counseling session Mm. and support it wherever it wants to go? That was the question I came to pastoral counseling with, which is what we do in spiritual direction. But that's not how we do. That's not how they train pastoral counselors. And so I remember getting my certification. But at the end of the day, I was. Really, I was frustrated. Although there were a couple models at the very end, I, I discovered focusing, which is a way of how to learn, listen to the felt sense within the body, which to me had some strong connections to spirituality. But beyond that, um, I came out of that training program with more questions than answers.
0: And, and so you?
1: So I kept searching. <laughs> I kept searching. And I took a sabbatical actually uh, from church for three, four months to actually work at the search because I wanted to do some research regarding how does psychology and spirituality come together. It clearly didn't come together in my training. So I took three, four months and did some research and reading. And and that's when I discovered the Diamond Approach, which is a psychological school geared towards helping people work at their personal spiritual formation. Um, and it uses psychology to work at the at the question of spirituality, how to nurture the soul, and the different aspects of the soul. And so they don't use the word God in language. They use their the word is essence, and the different essential qualities or the qualities of essence. But as I was part of the school, it became very quick to like, for me it became very apparent to boys some of these terms they're using can map onto some of our Christian terms. You know, essence, God, essential qualities, fruits of the
0: spirit. I saw a lot of interconnection potential for immigration. It's interesting how we we often have different terms for similar things. Mm-hmm. We may hold baggage towards the ones we don't use, but we often kind of relate to yeah. uh, similar aspects.
1: And so I became well, part of the school, and it was fascinating. They were starting a school in Toronto, a Toronto um, diamond Pearl to school in Toronto, and so I joined at the very first first week, and. I've been there, been with it ever since. I know this involves two, three retreats every year. I've been part of the school now for know, 13 years now. But it's interesting because it, for me, it really helped me see some connections in ways I never saw before. It helped me you know, see how all the fruits of the spirit, you know, like compassion, joy, strength, trust, inner support, truth or insight, like all the fruits are available to everyone they're at they're at the core ingredient of the human soul at birth and they're there all the time the issue is that due to our the way we've been raised and the way we've been nurtured we develop many blocks or what we call ego structures in the diamond approach which get in the way of the flow of these things developing like i mentioned how you know if we weren't given permission for tears and sadness well we would have a hard time experiencing compassion because those beliefs those those ego structures that we develop from our childhood get in the way of us experiencing tears and compassion and the softness and the tenderness that arises from experiencing compassion.
0: And you you've mentioned like habits that we often develop when we're young to, mm-hmm. to help us get through hard times or you know unperfect uh, situations, and often we yeah we want to heal from you know. And, and, as, and as
1: kids, you know, we needed those structures. Yeah, they were so they were survival patterns, strategies. Right? We, you know, if, if you weren't given permission to cry, you learned quickly not to cry, but it wasn't safe. Your life was at stake. Right? The same with anger. How many kids, when they're two years old, you know, you know, the angry twos, you know, stubborn, rebellious? No. Yeah. Well, how many parents hold that really well in a way in which kids learn to really understand that anger is actually a good thing, rather than a bad thing. Hmm. Right? Most of us say, oh, anger's bad. We've got to shut it down. Well, that anger in the down approach is actually a doorway into experiencing God's strength. So we can't be with that's anger. Good. It's been yeah. really hard for us to be with, experience deeply God's strength. And that's, so, so the down approach helped me see all the ways our different emotions are connected to the spiritual fruits or the, the essential qualities of essence. And you realize, wow, all these structures are really the barriers to how people experience God. Yeah. So we we needed them as kids. They were survival strategies. That's how we managed and, and thrived as best we could. But as adults, they get in the way of us experiencing God. Mm. And so my goal as a Spirit Director is okay, how can I help people? Well, first, discover what are the barriers that's getting in the way of their flow of God's Spirit, and then to unpack that and to really what their curiosity and longing for that deeper connection.
0: And that also limits our creativity, like coming up with new words, like unperfect, <laughs> words that we we don't necessarily need. Um, I, I love how you put that. That really, we all are relating to divinity through those positive qualities in our lives and our spirit. Um, and and there's structures that somewhat keep us from yeah. connecting with God, but we may not even call those things of God and that we could have a very deep relationship with that Sure. That higher power. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like anxiety. How many of us experience anxiety? We all do. Hmm. Well, what causes anxiety? Anxiety is because we're not able to experience trust in the moment. Yeah. So that tells you there's something in the way that's blocking the flow of trusting God in the moment.
0: Hmm.
1: There's your structure. Well, how do we work at that? So the experience of anxiety points to where the path is for healing. Oh,
0: really? yeah. It does, Yeah, right?
1: And so you like, okay, so let's breathe into anxiety, let's begin to understand anxiety, let's be really curious about it. Because anxiety is a longing for you to experience trust. And as we unpack it, all of a sudden, we get in touch with some of the memories and the stories, and they begin to experience God's presence in the midst of what broke that trust.
0: And the trust begins to be healed and restored. And often it does seem to involve, reflecting on your history, Maybe even like a deep history that you don't quite, you may not even be able to remember exactly. Well, this is probably one of the differences
1: of the diamond approach to other spiritual paths is, a lot of spiritual paths is about trying to transcend the negative experiences.
0: Like transcendence. Well, I don't know about (laughs) that. (laughs) I don't know about transcendence. (laughs) You said the word I had to, trying to get a connection.
1: But anyway, but a lot of paths is about trying to transcend those negative experiences. Yeah. Rise above your anger, rise above your anxiety, rise above your depression. Right? And you can rise above it, but when that rise, when you begin to relax and let go, you fall back often back into those difficult experiences again. Yeah. It doesn't actually transform those experiences. It transcends it, but doesn't transform. Yeah. And the only way to transform those experiences is actually to go into them. Which is really why I like the diamond approach, because it stresses you can't transcend. The Only way you can transform is by actually going into, and allowing God's Spirit to minister in this place, whether the depression, anxiety, and for you to discover the truth, you need to understand such that transformation can happen, and that's mm-hmm. where the shifts, and these shifts are more permanent than, meaning that you, your sense of anxiety begins to, become less part of your life.
0: So you could redefine transcendence to be more like a transformation because you would think a true transcendence would be uh, sustainable, right? Totally. But often we think of transcendence as just kind of escaping. Right. But you're saying that's not it. You have to no. go in. True that. transcendence is really
1: transformation at the bottom mm-hmm. which then changes everything that's built upon. Yeah.
0: Right? That's true transcendence if you want to say it that way. So if we, yeah, well, we often have different terms for things. So, right. Um, yeah, thank you for relating it that way, if we were to try to transcend judgment or, or transform judgment, we couldn't just let it go necessarily. We want to reflect on where our, our sense of judgment towards other people, towards ourselves comes from. Right. Um, look at the heart of the affection. So well, we and for judgment,
1: judgment to me as a sign is one of the terms in the Bible that uses hard-heartedness. Oh. Right. So judgment is really a, a reflection of a heart being hard. So what? So what's causing the heart to be hard? That's what I'm curious about, hmm. right? Well, a hard heart is a heart that cannot feel compassion. So what's blocking that compassion? Because if you had compassion, you wouldn't be judgmental towards that person, hmm. right? So I'm curious what blocks the compassion. Hmm. And in the Diamond the relationship between what blocks compassion is tied to tied to our relationship with pain. We don't like pain or we hate pain, we will shut down when pain comes up and we will judge whatever causes us to feel pain, we will lose our compassion. So we do a lot of work around our relationship with pain. Pain caused by a person who's hurt me, so that means we're getting into forgiveness issues, Mm -hmm. or pain caused by the fact that life's really unfair to me and so therefore I'm so upset with God right now because this shouldn't have happened, this is unfair. Those are all expressions of pain. And our relationship Mm -hmm. with that pain determines how how we hold that pain and also how we can be healed from it. And if we can't can't be with the pain, then our compassion will shut down and we will be judgmental toward anyone who touches that painful spot in our life, whatever that is. So learning to be with the pain can be helpful. And, And allowing God's Spirit to minister to that pain. So compassion can arise and you begin to understand the truth of the pain. Yeah. What it really needs for that pain to actually subside, be soothed, healed.
0: Well, often judgment seems to come um, from you know folks that we, we don't necessarily agree with. Like we, we feel a judgment towards mm-hmm. people who have different religions or different traditions or world views. Um, And and it seems like a lot of the pain that comes from that is this this kind of defensiveness around our own intellect or ideas. Right. But it can have these deeper roots too, Mm -hmm. as well. It sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Like I think it's really really important to be really curious about what causes us to judge people. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I've always been taken by the story of the um, the two trees in the Garden of Eden in Genesis two and three. Yeah. One's a tree of life eat from this tree, you experience life. And the other tree is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that tree, you experience what? Judgment. You become a judging person. What happens when whenever you eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge? Do they experience nakedness as just nakedness? No, nakedness is now wrong. Yeah, they judge themselves. It's now wrong. And oh. so, and, and and now the relationship with God is this now seen as neutral. Well, it's just God just says, no, no good. now they're nervous of God. They believe God is now judging them. Project, they protect the good evil on the God and now God's judging is even good or evil, but be careful to be careful here all because we're eating from the wrong tree. When we from the tree of life, there is no judgment. there's truth, yes. but truth is very different than knowledge good their evil. But when something is true, like when somebody said, oh, this is a really good experience. This brings life to me. Are, when we say that, are we, is that a, is that a judgment or is that just an experience right in the home? Hmm. We're not making any comparison. Well, this is a good piece of pie, but that's a bad piece of pie. No, that's a good piece of pie. It tastes really good. It's awesome. There is no comparison going on. Hmm. Or something, There's I remember uh, Todd. we had a discussion recently about this whole issue of good and evil, you know, the Wanda experience of genocide. That is an evil experience. We all agree it's evil. <clears throat> but it's what makes it evil? what's well, it's evil because it destroys life. It's not evil because we're comparing it to something which is good. It's just evil in itself. But well, what, what I want you to be curious about is what caused that experience of evil? It was caused by a group of people who said, they are the enemy. They judged, and we're not. And they get we are the enemy. And that's eating the tree of, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Huh. Judging good and evil, get rid of evil. When eating from the tree of life, you're not doing that. Your experience of goodness is goodness. Your experience experiencing evil is, but there is no comparison going on there. And that truth becomes your guiding. That truth sets us free, as the Bible says. Truth in that way. There is no good and evil in the comparative sense. And I think that is so free. And so that's I, I why I don't judge any experience as good or evil and accounts in my spiritual direction office. We're focused on what is the truth of
0: it? What is it trying to show us? That's a very different question. Because you're willing to identify something as destructive, but you're still looking for the truth, it. Like the truth of it. The truth of it. Because
1: even if it's evil, the question is, well, why is it evil? And that why evil points to the greater truth of what's needed to actually address it. It's not about destroying it, it's about addressing it, healing Healing, But only truth can reveal that to you. But if you say, that's good, and this is evil, then what happens? We get rid of evil and we start, it's like we become very
0: attached to seeking good and we want to destroy anything that's evil. But we don't really understand why it's evil. It's kind of like trans the definition of transcendence you shared where you're just trying to escape it or yeah. shut it down, but it takes process often.
1: Yeah. yeah, and, that, and so that's why for me, everything, what brings life to every situation? What brings life? That's when we're doing that, that's we're eating from the tree of life. And there is no place for judgment there. Hmm. And if there is judgment, I'm really curious, why is it here? What's the truth of it?
0: Well, in a way, that, it, I mean, that is what leads to us leaving the Garden of Eden, which is... You know, place of peace, of abundance, of connection to God, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's described as being uh, a situation where they're kicked out. Yeah. But really, it's they they leave. I think they choose to
1: leave in this story actually, they because they think God doesn't want us anymore, because we're yeah, or can't have us anymore. We're we are now. We have to be covered up. We have to hide. God's a fearful thing hmm. in that story, which is real interesting. At and that's least. what happens when we lose our trust in God. We we become very fearful.
0: When often the appearance, yeah, we feel like God has kicked us out, right. but we've actually created the distance. Yeah. I, I noticed that in the Bible, in the scripture, often it's it's almost like describing the appearance of things. But if you pay attention, you can see that the deeper thread. Right. Huh? right. Now, do do you find that in in scripture as well? And do you do you often use scripture in your, your teaching too, your sermons? Or? Well, I curious.
1: oh I find if anything I've become more scriptural, and um, since I've become part of the Diamond School, oh yeah, really? um, partly because I now see the experiences which are driving the scriptures, the truth behind them, yeah. like the fact of why we say the truth sets us free. What what's the meaning of that? But so so all the stories now I think in the Bible have a lot more meaning to me than they used to before and not and now it's not just literal now it's well it's not literal but it's it's definitely it's far more experiential yeah you know um uh, things you know there's so many truths in the bible that just resonates so much deeper for um uh,
0: you know um, kind of like how it, it says jesus or christ always talked in parable those parables have deep meaning mm-hmm. you know often i find well the story you just related or the seven day creation story etc right um, they're, they're similar type of parables often are really speaking to our hearts and you know illuminating paths to growth
1: yeah and i i think healing like, and, and 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 there's so many parables and metaphors which you know like lightness and darkness you know um the issues around judgment like it's interesting how the pharisees and the religious leaders are seeing this almost like a religious foil against what Jesus is, you know? And so you see all the issues of judgment everywhere in the text mm-hmm. and how that judgment gets in the way of people experiencing God, right? And, and, and then you see in Jesus something very, very different. Yeah. Right, you know, um, you know, and it's, it's almost like every turn that Jesus, every turn Jesus is constantly crossing boundaries and breaking through these barriers which society was creating regarding who's in and who's out. Well, Jesus constantly crossing those boundaries, both within socially, but also like even within our, even within the soul, right? Helping people realize, no, you are not bad people. You know, even to the thief on the cross, Jesus said to him, "You know, you will be in the paradise after all. Hmm. You're saying great. How can that be? Because he's done some bad things, but in that moment, he saw the truth. He saw who he really was in God's eyes.
0: And Jesus saw that too. Yeah, you, you know, this Good Samaritan story We yeah. have Jesus relating and asking at the end, you know, who was the neighbor? And it's this individual that the people around him would have dismissed or, you know, viewed as an outcast, as, as the wrong kind of Jew, essentially, right. um, and it's, yeah, a good point around well, breaking Well, and, and, and with that revolver. parable, that parable has many different meanings. Yeah. There, there's
1: a social meaning, what you're describing. But who is our neighbor when we look into our eternal and to our eternal part? Our enemies often these negative things we want to judge. Yeah, the neighbor is the good, right? And, and it turns out the neighbor is actually this. That anxiety is actually your neighbor. You need to respect and love and take care of huh. because it points us to what to what needs to be addressed. But so if, yeah, what can be used for? It can be used for good. Exactly. So that that's, that story of the Samaritan helps you see that what we think often we judge is bad. Hmm. need to hold totally differently, because it may be actually the source of our way home. Yeah, that's quite insightful. So I tend to see stories, I also, I interpret those parables or stories both in the outside world, but also in the internal world, and that's why the the role of symbols and metaphors are really powerful. Yeah. You know, like blind man, like blind and you shall see without blind. The theme of blindness has many different meanings. Right? It could be physical blindness, but as that text talks, points directly, it talks about spiritual blindness, spiritual. all over the place. Right.
0: the uh, The Swedenborg Foundation um, is uh, tasked with sharing Swedenborg's writings and uh, continuing his uh, legacy of the- theological reflection, uh, but also his his openness. He he believed there were many paths to God. But a lot of his texts uh, that the foundation uh, publishes are, are centered around this idea that scripture has the spiritual meaning and mm-hmm. uh, very a very deep meaning for, for our life, and it has real corollaries to, to how we live and, and how our soul works. It sounds like you you have a similar type of idea. Right? Yeah, I use scriptures
1: far more metaphorically. Um, and that than I've probably ever have in the past, but it, it still has a literal feel to it. It's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, it has. It it's hard needs to describe it in a way like a skin. Yeah, but it's,
1: it's, but it's not literal in the sense that in the sense of word for word, you know, that way. But it's but every word has meaning to it. I guess I would say. And and I look for yeah. the deep meaning of all the words, and it's amazing how they speak, they can speak to us, right? So even you know I, I don't throw away text very easily. No. Even difficult no. text, I think, are quite be quite rich
0: you you mentioned focusing on the meaning of words and I I've been reflecting on how scripture often has names that are actually meanings that they they tend to have a meaning behind them and in our English translations um, at least in the part that you typically read mm-hmm. they often don't translate those names into those meanings but when, when I have reflected on those meanings through those verses, the, the verse tends to come alive a little bit more because you... you or I, I start to see this kind of deeper metaphor within mm-hmm. even the names of things in Scripture. Uh, how, how does that relate to, to your spiritual practice? and uh, Just reading Scripture and focusing on, on the deeper meaning of the words. Well... Um... Ah, oh, that's boy. That's an interesting question.
1: I think of the I am, which is at the base of Yahweh. Right? I am, and uh, and the I am experience. And for me, I unpack that because there's an I and there's an M. Hmm. There's a, you know there's an I that's doing the experiencing and there's an M which is the experience. But together they make up the experience of God. I am, which is presence. I come to realize that's the same as present. You're very present. I'm here, but there's also I'm very much aware of the am experience, and I can't distinguish what's me and what's the experience. Hmm. That's the I am experience. That's also when I experience God. That's what God. That's what experience God is like. That sense of presence, is so profound. So that's what I want. That's for me. That's that's unpacking one word. I am. Yeah. Right into something. Wow. This is the essence, and it's, and it's interesting how the Jewish tradition says we can't say that word. It's, 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 it's unspeakable mm-hmm. and, and you think well that's true because as soon as we try to speak we try to name it and then we try to control it all the rest of it yeah. it's best for us just to experience presence because so we know what it is when we have it and we're experiencing it and the name of sort of
0: takes away the mystery well scripture often talks about the one who comes in the name of God or, mm-hmm. uh, and, or something around the name of God but scripture also has many different names for God yes. so in a sense it's the name of God is something bigger than a specific pronunciation. True. Enough. And it points to different experiences. I think
1: in Islam, they have about 100 names for God, I think, or 99 names. Yeah,
0: that's the famous. But I think there's more, actually, yeah. in the Quran, in, in the Muslim tradition. Yeah. Me.
1: And those names, I think, are all important. They help us capture another aspect of God that we can easily ignore if we just use one name. Right? Yeah. That's why it's beautiful to use different names for God in my prayers. You know, I know for me I'm tempted to use Lord all the time, but I know for some people they don't experience Lord in a very positive way. So it's good to use other words to capture other aspects,
0: right? Yeah. Well, I, I notice some people use phrases like the universe yeah. when they're talking about what I would identify as God. Yeah. And I don't you know, I shouldn't need to, to change their their lingo because it's healthy for them. They may have baggage towards mm-hmm. uh, God there. Well, I I don't know if you know the the Celtic
1: tradition Philip Newell, but he uses the word life for God, life, and he's totally reworked the whole t- um, the Lord's Prayer in a way which is so enriching. Oh, really, and uh, you should look it up sometime. But it's quite profound, and I, and you know, if he, like he moves away from fa- having Father and all that into, but these images just it just deepens it so much mm-hmm. more, and it's and this is a prayer anyone could pray. But it, it touches deeply, so when I read it, I go, wow.
0: Yeah, it resonates with me what you said before about like, limiting the idea of God in our heads sometimes limits how we can approach God. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly you have, you have this, this uh, perspective that there is healing to be done from the more destructive things. So it's not mm-hmm. necessarily that God is in the evil, but that the evil can be used for, for good. Um, I'm, I'm curious, could you explore the idea of, of opening our idea of God um, and, and ground it in, in healing, if you, if you will? Wow. Um. Sorry. <laughs> I'm really trying to transcend my inner seat, I yeah, get you. To
1: <laughs> well, I think it's important to see, like the way I've come, I see God as the transforming healing agent within every aspect of. Yeah. Right. That's what I've come to see. And, and when there is something painful going on, when there's some evil going on, that tells you there's some block going on, some blockage, whether it's within ourselves, what we call an ego an structure or a structure within society, which is interfering or blocking the flow of God's spirit to do what it wants to do. Hmm. That's how I tend to understand it. That's right. And, and so therefore, when we see things that are not working well in the world, that tells you there's something blocking God's spirit for what it wants to do. Right, and so that's, and and that's why I think we we sense pulls within us to get involved and try to bring about change around justice and healing and and peace and so on, because we feel there's something wrong, that pull inside is God's Spirit pulling us to work at the change that needs to happen here.
0: Um, So that's That's how I
1: tend tend to work at it, right? Now there's things in life which are really hard to explain, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, not everything can be explained quite this way, because, you know, There's an aspect, like for example, I look at my brothers who died of AIDS. Well, it wasn't their fault they died of AIDS. Like they were taking blood products, which we all thought were good, but they weren't good. You know, and so there's there's a sense, I find a time, there's a sense there's a, how to describe it, there's a chaotic aspect of life that we somehow have to get our heads around. It's just part of life. And And yet I see a value to chaos in the sense that chaos is what keeps things I'm becoming too structured, <laughs> right? It's almost like it's necessary to soften us. I don't know. So there's a bit of a mystery I have around s- some aspects of what, what is wrong with our world. It's not all around things being structured wrong. There's other things. There's, there's, there's a chaotic aspect of life, which is hard to get my head around sometimes. Well, what I do know is, is that when difficult things happen, like with my brother and the HIV age and I'm dying, those moments of chaos were moments where I experienced God very profoundly. Hmm. And, and and they helped me, they transformed that pain within me towards my brothers and, the, and their loss. And I remember when my first brother died, I was, a, I was numb, I was numb for, oh, I remember preaching a sermon, I was, just, I was a student pastor, and I remember preaching a sermon, I think about a month before he died, and I, was, I, I preached where I was that, at that time. I was really struggling. I was angry at God. So I preached a sermon on my anger at God. Huh. And I remember that Tuesday I got taken out by someone in the church who scolded me for, for as a pastor teaching about being an angry at God. Pastors should never be angry at God, he told me, right? And I was a little devastated until my supervisor um, connected with me and said, "Cord, don't worry about it. There's lots of people in the Bible who are angry at God. You're in good company. <laughs> right, all the prophets were angry at God, <laughs> right? But that was a really core cool experience for me. But I was angry, and then when my brother died three, or four weeks later, I became totally mad. Wow. and then my my dad wanted to have four visitations, you know, and we knew they were gonna be big ones, and they were big ones. A lot of tons of people came to my parents' hometown church and came to visitation, and I, you know, I didn't. I was numb. I just just plotted my way through them, just coping, just coping, just coping. And then the day of the funeral, you know, and the tradition in our family is is that the family walks in at the very end. So everybody's already in their church, in the pews, and the family walks in. So I remember walking in, and I was totally not just wanting to get this day over with, and I remember walking in, and I saw a church full of 200, 250 people just crying, just in tears. And I saw those tears, and then it hit me. Those tears is God crying with me. Oh. And as soon as I, I made that connection, all of a sudden, I began to cry. And that became a holy moment, and that whole service became a holy service. And it just shifted my whole experience of that death and future death since then. Um, and I realized then that, wow, God can be in, is God's in the midst of every single experience in life regardless how painful it is and the key thing is to be open to god's spirit being present there and i wasn't until i saw all those people crying and all of a sudden my heart opened and then i began to cry Um, and then that and that really shifted and that was the beginning of me no longer asking the why question because i before that i did a lot of work around asking the why question running groups around why questions and uh, trying to make sense of it. Um, But it shifted my why question discussion because I realized, I'm not sure it's important anymore. What's important is that God is with us in the midst of every experience. We may not experience it, and that's something we're curious about. Yeah. Right? Because there's something within you that's getting away at that. God's Spirit actually touching your heart and monitoring God. And that's what I'm curious about. That's what people need. And that's why when that lady said, help me how to pray, that's what that means. Mm. How do I help people experience God's presence in the midst of it, whatever they're going through? That's quite powerful. Your story. Thank you for sharing. So that's, you know, that's why the, the question of we were with God and everything, you know, from the question you were asking, the issues around evil and that, well, mm. I believe God's so very much at work trying to ch- shift that. But when there's evil happening, there's so many structures in place which is getting away of that, mm. getting away of God's spirit trying to bring about change, and that's well, and that's why we feel anger at that stuff. Why God? Why we're told to we begin to find ways to address it?
0: Yeah, it's interesting how our freedom and our limitations play a role in, in, in what you just described, at least from from my perspective. Yeah, and how. Uh, You know, often we can learn from those traumatic moments. They can be used for good. Mm -hmm. They—they probably all are, Um, but it's sometimes hard to find that, and it's hard to see why it would be necessary to be used for good uh, without, at least for me, reflecting on what must be a necessity around human freedom. Um, You know, God's love for us to have our own autonomy.
1: You know, and I, and I remember like that experience around my first brother's death. It was a dramatic one for us, traumatic for us as a family and for my parents, you know. And and I remember my my parents phoning me up it was about Jamie died in August. My parents had phoned me up in January the following year. And they were really struggling, which, and we were all struggling, even despite my experience. We were all struggling to some extent, but they were really struggling. And I remember they phoned me up and asking permission you know, Gord would like to adopt a boy, yeah. and since I heard that, I said, "Oh no, They're, they want to adopt a boy to to replace my brother." And I says, "That wouldn't be fair for any boy mm-hmm. to come into our family with that type of pressure." And and and, and I and, and and I reflect a little bit to my parents but then I got this brainwave came out of the blue. I said, I said. Dad, why don't you become a big brother? No. Right? And mom, you always wanted to have a daughter. Why don't you become a big sister to a girl? Well, they heard me. And they end up becoming, Dad became a big brother and when you know. He became a big brother to a boy whose father died of no, AIDS. Really. And mom became a big sister to a, a girl who didn't have a mother. Um, you know we needed another person in our life and so it was those are really significant relationships for my parents and uh, it helped them process or find meaning yeah in the death of my my youngest brother. Um, wow. you know I, I think there's there's still a journey for, for all of us around death of my brothers but those are those were definitely some healing aspects that happen for us. Well it's quite I'm sure it's quite difficult even even today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think we're at different places. I think mom and dad are still feeling a lot of, they still feel lost, and my brothers deeply understand. They were parents. they were parents. And
0: And you mentioned chaos before and how often we we see it in uh, folks getting diseases or dying from, uh, you know, whatever, a natural disaster. And I, I guess for me, like, this idea of human freedom transcends humanity, it's almost like creation itself has like a chaotic bend to it, but that allows for greater healing or growth over time. So it's almost like this the the tendency of the human spirit to have a freedom to destroy is also present in in a maybe a more mundane way, but in, in every atom, the world around us. Uh, but I think you know, often we grapple for, for reasons why, but you, you mentioned that question doesn't necessarily concern you. Well in it, the same way.
1: It does it does I don't think any answer will make us happy.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, and I think that's what it comes down. Like I can sit here and rationalize and I can see the I can see the gift of chaos.
0: Yeah.
1: Intellectually if I can Be mm-hmm. the gift of chaos is what makes new creation possible. From the old comes new. Well, how does that happen? breaks down the old, so it's something new can arise. So intellectually, it makes total sense, mm-hmm. but for the people going through it, it's torture. Yeah, it's painful, it's But what I do realize, it do know that in the midst of that torture, painful, it's it's possible to experience God's presence, and that can become very special and beautiful. And that's what allows us to be with those painful places in a different way. So you know, it feels chaotic. Looking back after, like, I look back now and I'm thinking, uh, part of me says, I would never say that I wish my, I'm glad my brother's died. I would never say that. Yeah. Because it's not true. But I can also say that I look back and say, wow, God has brought so much good out of that painful situation, this painful situation. It just marvels me. Right. And it brings uh, the whole meaning to the text in Romans 8 where it says, you know, God works together in everything, bringing the good out of all things which are bad or something like that. In Romans eight, there's a text that talks about that. Mm-hmm. And that text just comes to life for me when I think about my life and I see it in other people's lives when they look back and the goodness has come out of some certain situations. It's amazing how God's spirit can bring about transformation human. Yeah. Right? And it is. And it just it's during awesome days. And the other days I you sit, you know, are in the midst of processing other painful experiences. Oh, you wish it wasn't the case. Yeah. But then you begin to pray with it hold it and ask God to be with you in this experience and be open to how God's Spirit might be working and all of a sudden shifts start happening. You know, all of a sudden you begin to see meaning, you see purpose and you see love and compassion arising in yourself and others. And, and that is such a better place to be than to get caught up. And I guess what this is a challenge is it's easy to get caught up in the why and the anger, and as a result, get
0: really bitter towards all. It's really easy to do that. Yeah, yeah. and and to become defensive towards the why. That's right. Because you know, <laughs> or attached very, to the why and become very and,
1: and very angry. There is there's no answer and so on. Sure. Yeah. Well, wow. yeah.
0: and compassion you mentioned a couple times, but that's so powerful yeah. compassion, um, and how it can arise from traumatic situations for for you know, yourself or other people in similar situations. It's it's interesting that uh, trauma can harden the heart but it can also Suffer. serve to soften.
1: Right. Hmm. Yeah, it can go both ways. Yeah. And in my work is it is 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 to understand the dynamic. It's natural for the heart to harden to trauma.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's the natural defense mechanism. But see the support and care other people and with God's Spirit, they happen, the other can happen too.
0: It's also a call for compassion for people going through trauma. Right, you know, people should never go through trauma alone. Yeah, right. it's just too hard.
1: It's just too hard. That's why they need others to surround them, and and that surrounding, I think, is part of God's Spirit at work trying to bring both mm-hmm. healing and softness to them so they can experience. Other aspects or other aspects of God's Spirit in this. That would be compassion, tenderness. Mm-hmm. With trauma, there is definitely a need to experience a lot of anger and hate. That's part of the process of journey of healing. You got to create space for that. Yeah, that you can't takes just shut it down. That right? takes a special people to hold that. Yeah. that that anger and hate. But that's what's needed because there is a lot of that there, which is why the trauma's there. Mm-hmm. And is there able to find a place to process that anger and hate? And begin to get, understand the truth behind it and feel it validated, then it shifts begin to happen. And they begin to let go of something they thought they could never let go of. That's incredible. That's the journey. That's where the journey of resurrection, hmm. when you think about it, right? It's, we have to die to that which is broken. Die to that which is broken. Broken, meaning that yeah. we often become very attached to it. And becomes part of our identity, Hmm. and and but the dying is is, is actually allowing being around people who allow you to be with the pain and the hate and the anger around it, and 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 as that is able to validate it, all of a sudden you begin to hold that pain a little looser, Hmm. Which then allows something else to begin to emerge. Yeah, and what begins to emerge is the beginning of the resurrection. Otherwise, we're caught in half.
0: Sorry, one second. I'm going to ask you to repeat that. I thought I did this. Not. Could you repeat that thought and then emerge? Is it to?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's really important for a person who's gone through trauma to have people around them um, who allows them to be with all the pain, and with that pain becomes the hate and the anger. Because if they're not able to have people around them, they will become even more attached to the pain, the trauma. But if they have people around them who's able to allow them to experience it, to voice it, to have that experience validated, that validation, knowing there's someone around them who actually gets it, allows them to begin to release the pain, they're release their grip on the pain, and allows something new to arise within them. Hmm. That is the beginning of the resurrection. When you're totally attached, connected, you're really in a place of hell. That's a good Friday experience. The place of hell. Like you're just attached, there's no hope, there's no way to ever change. But when you're when that experience is able to be validated and really empathize with someone around or a few around them, they're able to hold it differently and allow something new to arise. And that's the beginning of the resurrection. When they begin to say, oh maybe I'm not this trauma. Maybe this is not all of life. And suddenly, they begin to experience other aspects of that spirit within, them. And they can begin to claim that as, this is who I am, not that trauma experience. And so that's the journey of the resurrection, as
0: I understand it anyway, um, um, for us yeah. here who've gone through trauma. You know, that sounds about right to me. Yeah. It's a, you mentioned community and how that can be very helpful in, in the process
1: well for people going through a lot of difficult experiences you need to, you can't do it by yourself mm. I think it's a myth that we can live life by ourselves um, yeah you know it's easy to live joy by our joys and fun times by ourselves so, although they're far more fun to share it with people too mm. but when you're going through difficult experiences you need people around you to to share to share that with you to you can walk with you who can empathize with you um, who can be with you in the trenches um, and I think that's of the gift of spiritual direction because i find I'm that person for many people I certainly yeah. was that person for many people when i was going through the age crisis you know, when i was visiting people i was that person there's a ton of people who needed a person like myself but we need hmm. communities like that i think that's the role of the church actually communities, yeah. communities who are able to hold um, the experience that people have in life so they're able to experience god in the midst of life. It's probably the best definition of church i can think of
0: yeah no it sounds like kind of an open an open definition yeah
1: so. right. and it doesn't mean you have all the answers in church These, like i said these white questions i think can't be answered but we can do things in church which allows people to feel held and allows people to surrender mm-hmm. whatever their experience is to god and allow to minister to them, whether it be through music, mm-hmm. through the songs we sing, through the songs we listen to, through, through sermons which help people actually learn how to hold their experience in ways which is more spacious and consider how God may be ministering in this situation, that situation in their life, you know, through, through, through poems of prayer which help us to really center ourselves and, and center ourselves where we're not lost in the problem, but actually separate from it. Many hmm. anyway, I think that's the goal, uh, purpose of prayer. in Many ways is to help us hold our life experiences in a way that they're not us. That we're here, and this is this is what I'm going through. God, I'm going through this experience and that experience. Help me. Well, that ad- act of prayer is putting what easily could be part of our identity out here for God to minister to, hmm. Hmm. and that helps us hold these things lighter. They're not us. They're a part of our life experience, but they're not us. And I think, I think that's what the purpose of prayer is to help create that space. And as a result, then we see God able to minister
0: to our life experience in a different way. Yeah, they're not us, but often we, we identify with them. And we, even though we may think we want to let it go, we, it's how we define ourselves often. Right.
1: Through our life experiences.
0: Yeah, life experiences through yeah. certain habits sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the structures
1: we... Tend to have in life the habits, our behavior patterns,
0: mm-hmm. and some have kind of served a purpose to console us, maybe when we were younger, or, mm-hmm. or they were constructed for whatever reason.
1: And some still work.
0: Some still and some, serve that purpose. And some don't work so well. Yeah, but there it sounds like there's always room for for more transformation and allowing God to. Well, you, you mentioned it before, allowing God's will to. Further manifests so, itself. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I think that's a constant journey, and and when I say that, I I don't want to to create the idea that, that we're on this you know a journey of should 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 should. I, I, it's more a journey of at least for me, I'm it's more a journey of curiosity, yeah, and wondering like where is God going to take me now? Like, where is God? How's God working here? And how's God working work here? Like, and I'm just trying to be open. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to just to be open and to follow where I sense I'm being. You know, I think, yeah. and that's very different than a list of ships.
0: Well, God is really big, yeah. As you were alluding to, all those wonderful qualities in our lives are our divinity, you know. Yeah, they're our, part of our us. Spirit, part of us. Yeah. So growing towards those things, it, yeah, you know, it's not like a, a set in stone type of experience, but and it's less about growing toward it and, and, and
1: know, basically trying to find ways, which is beginning to move to a side beside that which is getting in the way of them arising which is a little different Yeah, they're already there how can I help them blossom a little more
0: yeah God's always with us but we're not always with God to our full extent right Right.
1: and that's the journey and that's not meant to be a guilt trip that's just that's the journey
0: yeah that is the journey (laughs) (laughs) trying yeah trying to transcend our idiocy if I can say it one more time Mm-hmm. But uh, honestly, I feel like it's a never-ending journey. But maybe it doesn't have to always have so many pitfalls, right? So many yeah destructive things. You think
1: that's true? Like I, I think the key thing, like I, the key thing for me, is to realize how to describe it. I think once you realize your, your identity as a child of God like once that shift has happened, which can happen pretty early in people's lives, that really creates a huge shift within us, I think, because no longer are we concerned about our destiny, no longer are we concerned about um, whether we're God's children or not. That's never in doubt anymore. Yeah. We know our, who we are. And, and since we know who we are, we know who we are and where we're going, we know everything. We sense God is with us. Um, and so there's never that, that question of doubt about who we are disappears destiny us just just goes off goes off falls off the radar and now the journey becomes well how do I experience more of this <laughs> very different, was different very different but that first part the knowing that your're God's child, is, is a key piece and you know and and, and that and that's and that, that's a challenging one because uh, you know I know people who who struggle with that but they never get to that place where they, where it settles, where they feel they can rest and and the assurance that yes I am a child of God
0: it's and sustainable.
1: It's sustainable. It doesn't mean that your life is perfect. Yeah. But you just know in your core that oh yeah I am I am a child of God and God it does care for me it does love me that is never in question. Hmm. But it doesn't mean your life is perfect. It doesn't mean you don't forget about that. You know yeah. it doesn't mean that you yeah. get lost in this and this. But when you become centered when you become back become more centered you're like, oh you're right I am God and you reconnect again. Um, but it's getting people to that place, you know, and that's why I think, yeah, I think there is there is a place of, you know, where, at least for many of us, we do need a fairly sniff experience for that for that sense of rootedness rude, to take place, the sense that we are a best child. Like, I know you shared with me part of your journey, mm-hmm. and I would think part of that shift that happened for you, mm-hmm. that experience that led to you knowing inside that, yeah, and that, that just shifts in how you hold your life and how you see so it. You're no longer hiding from God in the same way. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's that's no longer the issue anymore. Now you're trying to, how do I experience more of God? That's the journey now, for you and I. But for others, I know it's 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 getting it's making that transition. And I think that's, you know, how to have those core experiences which create that shift is kind of important. because you know, I know some people, like, to the day that I have, am I saved or not? Hmm. And you know, I'd I, I love to be with, meet with some of those people, but I think there must be a way to work at that. What is the blockage that gets in the way of them actually claiming who they are, who were born, uh, yeah. who, who, we, who they are, who, who were born to be, right from day one? And somehow they lost, they lost touch with that, and that's the journey for them is to reconnect with the sense of who they are hmm. beyond their history.
0: Well, often it's, it's almost the history of generations. Um, it would take the history of generations to tell the story of why. We're often the way we are because mm-hmm. we get inherited tendencies. We have our childhood yeah. environments. Yeah, yeah. It's, it seems like a lot to unpack. Yeah, but God's always there, and, ready but, and but ready But who
1: are we? Are who are we beyond that?
0: Yeah, right. that's that's the question. It's
1: important for people to be with. Who are you beyond your history? Yeah, because there's times we experience ourselves like we're in the present moment. Well, there is no history. When we're experiencing God's presence, there is no history. There's just me and God, and it's it's peaceful, it's joyful, it's calm. There's times I feel really strong, really powerful. When you're in the present moment, there is no history, and which yeah. means your sense of who you are is not tied to history. It's tied to the present moment and your relationship with God. So coming back to the present moment. It's really powerful. It's really powerful. It's key. That's why yeah. it's, it's, it's probably that's the purpose of prayer, just to help us come back to the present moment and be
0: very prayerful. When we're prayerful, we are moving into the present moment. Well, let's let's sit on this idea of presence, maybe to end, because you mentioned before um, uplifting spiritual practices that help people come to the present moment is a big part of your spiritual direction. Uh, could you share with us some ways that we can come uh, back into the present moment, uh, and uh, maybe practices that transcend one religiosity but can apply uh, to to most of our life?
1: Well, personally, I, I'm a a big um, what do you call it, century per meditator, mm-hmm. right? It's something that the down approach really pushed, but the reality that's in our own Christian tradition too, centering prayer, um, where you set aside, you know, twenty, twenty-five minutes every day. For me, it's in the morning. You know, where you where you just sit, sit on the couch. Where I just sit on the couch and just practice being centered, present, You're totally present in my experience. You know, and and just be there as much as I can. And when your mind gets distracted, you just say, "Oh, returning home." home being here, your center is your belly button, the bottom of your gut. You just keep returning home and then you return home, you just be with your experience. Hmm. You just keep doing that over and over again for 25 minutes and just learn to be with your experience. And you be with everything that's there. You be with tiredness, you be with doubt, you be with whatever, you don't push nothing away. All you're trying to do is just be with your experience. And, and, And as you do that, you'll find yourself settling you find yourself over time settling. You find yourself with a sense of surrender going on inside. Is, that's what you're just being. You're not trying to make anything happen. You're just being with it and just allowing things to happen. And your body, your soul naturally wants to surrender. Just be. Now, the mind says, oh, it wants to go over the map. And you call this monkey mind. Yeah. Right? And why wants to go here. And everywhere your mind goes, it often triggers experiences. So you have to catch yourself and you bring yourself back home. Oh, that's interesting I the mind to be there to be here but you keep coming back mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, it's, it's a really important practice of learning to come home right? that's really what I'm about. it's learning to come home to your center it's not staying in your center it's learning to come home to your center I think that's the most important part of the practice is coming home mm-hmm. and, and the reason I say that is oh. because, because once you learn to come home you end, you, end up, you end up staying home more often but what happens is once you learn to come home you will find that throughout the day you will have coming home experiences. Because you have practiced for 20, 20 minutes coming home, just being present. And all of a sudden, you're up here, and all of a sudden, you see the sun. You realize you're present. You just came home. And so you linger there longer. And then you're, I don't know, maybe a few minutes later, something will happen. All of a sudden, you, you just woke up. You're present. You linger there longer. Because you recognize the experiences of coming home throughout the day. And you linger every time it happens which deepens the experience. Or you find yourself, like I find, one reason I like spiritual direction because I find that is, that is essentially one hour of being totally centered. For me. Yeah. Because I'm totally centered and just holding your experience and listening to it, you And then me sharing what comes to me as I listen to you. Mm-hmm. It's one hour of centering prayer. Because I'm totally centered. And, cool. and, 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 other times I catch myself with certain, certain directees, it's not quite the case. You know, and I find I'm not centered because of, of the dynamic between us, and I realized what's going on here. Well, mm. that's part of my journey of, okay, hey, I've got to unpack this, so I can help them unpack theirs. Yeah. Right? Um, but that's part of the journey of being a spiritual director. But, yeah. but anyway, that, and that's and to me, that the whole mindfulness, I'd I, I rather call it prayerfulness practice of centered prayer, is to me, is really key. Um, mm. And then I think another one is, I think uh, contemplating Scripture is another big one. You know, we each have our scriptures. You know, the Christians have the Bible. Jews have their scriptures. and We all have our scriptures. Even the Buddhists have scriptures. And, and I stress contemplating. I think there's a place for studying scriptures, to understand it. But I also think there's a place for contemplating scripture, which I have found really useful. When you contemplate scripture, you allow scripture to speak to you as you read it. Hmm. Meaning you're not trying to figure it out now with your mind. Like studying is all about figuring out scripture and what it's trying to say. And there's a value for that. But when you're contemplating scripture, you're really becoming actually very present to scripture. You're centering on the scripture and practicing centering prayer with it and allowing the scripture to speak to us. And when I do that with scripture, that's when I discover texts come alive. All of a sudden, words no longer, words are not just words on a page, they now have every word is like a symbol and point to a deeper meaning. And contemplating scripture does that. It helps you go beyond the surface to the deeper meaning of text. And all of a sudden our scriptures speak to us Ways we never never used to speak to us. That's great. Yeah. So that's 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 what complements scripture, and there's many different ways to do it. But that's yeah, that's another key practice. I think nature is another big one. Yeah. Right. Type Uh, of scripture. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's, you know the nature we experience connection. Mm. Right. And and it's interesting, and that sense of connection I think helps us experience connection in other parts of our life. It's a place where we can, probably nation on the pitch, where we can actually become present the easiest in nature. Um, I think studies show that. Yeah, like I, I'm a big kayaker, I'm a, you know, a hiker. I love nature. Um, hmm. Music's another big one. Yeah. Right, you know, here at this church, this, our church, Mennonite church of Fort Lee sings four part harmony a lot. Music's a oh, big part of wow. the Mennonite tradition. And so I use music a lot to help people experience presence and prayerfulness, um, to help experience some of these moments where we go rather than transcend, we try to, help you know, during my congregational prayer, I might use music to help us experience God in the midst of being in the trench around something, right? Hmm. Whether it be a brief or whether it be whatever it is. You know, last week I focused on the idea of an anagram. I did anagram last Sunday, and, and I just talked briefly about the nine different ways we become lost. Each type is a way we become lost. Oh. And so the prayer time was all about coming together as lost people and hearing the song, nothing is lost in the breath of God. Nothing. Powerful song. Mm-hmm. But even in the sense that we'll get lost in, our, in the weakness of our type, we're never lost in God's eyes. A good time of musical reflection. Yeah, and so it helps people experience well. through music the essence of God's presence. Mm-hmm. And a time when we easy can get totally identified with our losses and think there is no
0: Yeah.
1: right? So the things like that I play with here—that's great with music, just to help us experience those core, what I call, correctional emotional experiences, which help us heal some of, the, some of the trauma and pain in our life.
0: Maybe one day I'll get a. Uh a replacement preacher for my church. <laughs> Sounds fun. No, we have a reflective musical time too. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you really did. Nice. Yeah, I'm sure you did.
1: And that's my like, one of the purposes of it.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it is. Well, music for so many people, it's just so emotive. It's often a way that we can get connected with our feelings and feel um, a type of assurance. I think it's often yeah. it's often hard to put in the words. Well, and the reason it does that,
1: I think, is that it helps us move in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Music does that. Oh yeah, right. That's that's the, that's its
0: power. That's that's wonderful. Well, this has been quite a joy, Gordon. Uh, thank you for for sharing and coming on to the show. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. And I I, I hope you all get uh, as much as I just did from this conversation. Uh, please feel free to reach out to us anytime. Share your thoughts, your feedback. Uh, what you're going through uh, and uh, we uh, want to uplift you wherever you're at uh, so so don't be a stranger and I, I appreciate you not being a stranger at all Gord, and being such a wonderful spiritual director uh, to me as well <laughs> okay Thank you. all right well bye folks and go forth uh, knowing that you are quite loved god's blessing